0: Section 79, competing designs, better design. Ugh, competing teams are the worst. My own thought bubble, 2003. A common belief in big companies with resources to spare is that innovation works better when there is a competition between multiple efforts with the same goal. It is a luxury most companies don't have. If you've lived through competing designs, then you also know this is a horrible way to innovate, and it is odd that such a process persists. When we began work on the redesign of Office, we wanted to iterate over designs quickly while also making sure we had multiple perspectives. It was not competing designs per se, but it had many of the same tensions. It was only through careful management that we ended up with a better design because we had multiple efforts early on. Microsoft always maintains a competitive culture. It started at the top and flowed down from there. Any doubts? Ask one of the early morning basketball leaguers who played against Steve Ballmer. Generally, one place we did not compete was on products. That was wasteful. To be sure, Microsoft's classic cookie licking had a way of making it seem like there was competition. But those involved really knew what was going on. We'd seen IBM intentionally set groups after each other, and it was ugly. Back when I was a technical assistant, I had a call with an IBM technical assistant, a a very different job, it turns out, who asked me about how the company managed competing groups, quote, so effectively, and I thought he was speaking a foreign language. Later, I had realized from his view, he thought of OS2 and Windows as competitive, but we didn't quite see it that way. While competition rarely occurred across groups by building products that were addressing the same goal at times it happened accidentally, such as when C-sharp and .NET evolved to bump up against Visual Basic, or even NetDocs taking on email after starting from a word processor. There were also technology transitions resulting from current and forward-looking products going on at the same time, such as Windows 95 and Windows NT, and that was not resolved until later with Windows XP. Originally, Windows NT was a server operating system, Over time, it became abundantly clear it was the future general purpose operating system. The Windows competition was painful. It was not particularly secret, but once NT went from a side project to a real product and then to the strategy, it is fair to say the competition was difficult on all involved. No one who went through that would ever think about competitive groups on purpose. If we did, at least we'd gained lessons in how we might go about it. The resolution of this situation was painful for everyone. Microsoft's culture was to avoid being wasteful of resources or internal energy and to focus on one solution, getting to market and iterating to get something right, in three versions or so. As we've seen when confronted with intentional redundancy, we typically dealt with it before products got to market. If there was a competition, shipping first was the way to fix it. Many companies like IBM famously maintain cultures of competition. Often these companies sent two or more groups off to build solutions to a specified problem, frequently unbeknownst to each other, hoping a clearly superior solution emerged. For an engineer, that was an immensely frustrating approach and rarely resulted in a clean win or good design. Executives had a way of looking at competing projects and determining that the best path forward was to remove the negative attributes from both choices and use the good from each. That forced and magical merger of two formerly competing groups usually marked the start of a long friction-filled journey to market. Worse, tell me the boss of the new merged effort and I can tell you the winning technology. Such was another reason to dislike that approach. Incidentally, one thing we got right with the Windows 9X and Windows NT era was in moving code from one project to the other. The task of redesigning Office to address the challenges previously described was so high risk and difficult that it seemed sensible or prudent to try a few different approaches despite the difficulties doing so. The questions were how to quickly try multiple designs and if one team could sincerely experiment in an unbiased manner. The User interface was one part of Office 12. The next section will discover, just will outline the scope of the release. Julie Larson Green emailed Julie Lar, leading the UEX Program Management Team, that's User Experience, reported to Antoine LeBlanc, email Antoine, settled on investigating two approaches in parallel. Julie knew she wanted to experiment, but was acutely aware we did not have a year to wallow in design alternatives. We shipped Office 2003 at the end of the summer. We needed a couple of months on the engineering side to release worldwide products, refit the engineering process with improvements, and to plan the next release. The rough schedule called to start coding for Office 12 in early spring 2004. Less than six months to have a firm feature list, a robust engineering plan, and above all, a new cross-office design framework for a product used by hundreds of millions of people over the past 15 years. That's all. Julie's Office 2003 team began iterating with designs before the release finished early in the year. The second design came from members of a team that moved over from Outlook in the late spring of 2003. Movement across teams between releases was encouraged and planful, with program management starting a couple of months before release to manufacturing. Our resource alignment, or reord process, was routine at this point and began uneventfully with a memo from me in late May of 2003. The two groups shared the same hallway, had knowledge and awareness of each other, just like OneNote and Word previously. Julie Lahr's leadership on this project across all of Office would prove immense. Her own evolution as an engineering and product leader set the stage for this project. Starting from when we met at a C++ event at Microsoft Press more than a decade earlier, through her own growth to leading the engineering team that created Visual Studio, an outgrowth of single user Visual C++, and then on to Windows through the chaos of the browser wars, back to Office and front page and the incubation of SharePoint team services. And most recently to the shared user interface team for Office 2003. While decidedly among the best product leaders at Microsoft, it was her natural skills at bringing teams and people in conflict together that would prove to be the magic behind this risky and complex challenge. The two teams were each staffed by very solid product leaders with strong but differing views on the evolution of user interface. The team started from different constraints or assumptions. Julie aimed to arrive at one clear choice, not a non-existent mix of two options or a committee compromise. That way the designs and specs could be finalized in time to start coding. Few outside of office fully understood or appreciated the scope of the product's thousands of features. The prevailing view was neither could anyone nor did anyone care about all of those features. While we in Office could lightheartedly make fun of our 4,000 different commands across five major products, with very few exceptions there were no other products out there that had such a surface area. The only thing that came close was perhaps Adobe's suite of products and maybe Visual Studio. Both of these were used by professionals who were specifically schooled in those products. Even big websites and the internet were no more complex than the online help for Office. Recall during the most recent redesign of the Office user experience, the introduction of command bars for Office 2000, we had a full-time program manager just keeping track of all of the commands, buttons, and keyboard shortcuts. This is a huge redesign, a, a jumbo jet cockpit level redesign. The World Wide Web introduced an entirely new metaphor to the world with blue underlined hyperlinks, big buttons, and a good deal of text. It was a radical departure from overlapping Windows, menus, dialogue, keyboard shortcuts, and all the other widgets described in the previous section. A key question for Julie was, should the web influence the new user interface for a productivity tool as expansive as Office? One team was heavily influenced by the early directions of Longhorn. The next release of Windows, which was at that point, two years into its somewhat interrupted schedule due to trustworthy computing. Longhorn was starting to feel a bit of a mission creep already. Working to extend the traditional desktop to incorporate a web-like metaphor, the Longhorn design wanted to achieve the feel of browsing web pages while launching programs and working with files and settings. The resulting designs made extensive use of textual descriptions and a task-oriented interface. Rather than verbs such as save or bold, the experience was much more like shopping on the web with categories like collaborate, share, and edit. There are even command favorites, favorite commands, and a history like a web browser, as well as buttons and menus within a wheel of commands, sometimes called a radio menu. A radio menu, a favorite of designers and in movies, seems to surface every 10 years or so, though it has a host of problems with scalability, discoverability, and general ease of use. It also happens to be quite popular with the fans of the tablet PC and pen computing. One of the consistent challenges with the Windows team faced was designing a user interface paradigm for all apps developers without themselves really having an app to design. The desktop, managing files and folders, and launching programs in the control panel are all interesting, but relatively minimal in scope, says this apps person. As discussed in the Windows 3 era, Windows benefited enormously from the Excel team's input into what Windows required. The first office team's design, called Office Space, felt futuristic. Graphically, it looked like something from a movie. Name derived from the generalized notion of a command space from Longhorn and happened to, perhaps by no accident, reflect on the 1999 Mike Judge film Office Space that quickly achieved cult status among us Gen Xers. It aligned with the stated direction of Longhorn, which was quite appealing. Alignment between Windows and Office was always viewed positively especially by enterprise customers, even if we didn't always deliver on the details. In the early 2000s, aligning with Windows was still a prime directive from Bill G. We had just managed the impossible, which was to ship Office XP and Windows XP in rough proximity, and the XP desktop would rival the 2000 desktop in excitement from field sales. The Office Space team created a high-fidelity interactive prototype they called StrawMan, It had a feel of Longhorn with a good deal of text in the interface describing commands, and it was in a command well that looked like a task pane. It also, however, featured traditional toolbars and menus. It was a strong design, but it felt additive to what we already had. The incremental addition of new affordances was described in the previous section, and was sort of how we ended up where we were in the first place. The online version has some screenshots from the straw man prototype. The second team took a clean slate approach. They started from the problems office customers faced rather than starting from a design language or set of principles. The first thing they asked themselves was, why are things the way they are? This simple question frequently proved liberating. Leading this questioning were Jensen Harris, email Jensen H and Clay Satterfield, email Clay Sat. Both of whom joined Julie's team from Outlook, fresh off its complete and successful redesign. Jensen insisted on trying something entirely different. Julie gave him that latitude. Jensen brought with him a depth of knowledge of Office products that far exceeded his tenure at Microsoft, something that was an absolute requirement to make this project work. Jensen and Clay asked themselves the why and what for of the top level menus, recall file, edit, view, insert tools, window, and help, along with all the widgets across Office. It became clear to them that product history was no longer relevant. A button that was a hot new feature a few releases back, or that a program manager insisted upon long ago, didn't necessarily have a place in this version, nor did the widget that was added in an effort to make finding a command easier. Despite a deep understanding of what we had aimed to do, those designs were rooted in the arbitrary history and evolution of the implementation of Office. That is why the history of Office as detailed in the previous section is such an important input to this design. Taking a step back as great product designers often did, the team concluded that features could be grouped in a much more systematic and logical way. And more importantly, by operations that were more familiar and easily, easily labeled for human use. A reorganization was needed more than pixel pushing as Heikey used to say. Imagine the level of boldness required to suggest not just moving a few, but every single command in office. This sounded like who moved my cheese on a grand scale. Julie let the process run for a bit more, and then it was necessary to drive towards a single unified design. She was determined not to simply pick a winner herself, but work a process so a shared winner would emerge. This is a brave approach and not the norm for Microsoft. She essentially told both teams to lock themselves in a conference room and arrive at a shared result. There was a risk of compromise or design by committee but she knew that going in and wasn't going to let that become a result. The teams hated this, as they should. It was exactly what no good product designer wants to do. As expected, there really wasn't a compromise. This did, in a sense, force Julie's hand. The purity of the latter design was great. And there remained many questions about a text-heavy approach. At first, Julie finessed the choice. But it was fair to say that even years later, that at that moment, There were those that felt like they'd won and those that didn't. Perhaps there really is no alternative with competing designs. The two approaches, however, gave us all much more confidence in the direction, having explored a second radical alternative. Over the course of the next few months, Jensen and team created many visualizations. They created hundreds of prototypes. Jensen estimated that over 25,000 renderings were created. The teams used every level of fidelity from paper to Photoshop to flash. Yeah, that was still a thing. The online version contains an animated series of prototypes. Why did we have so much confidence though? Who makes such a huge change to such successful products? User interface was our product and who moved my cheese could result in an unmitigated nightmare for end users and the business early in the process. Jensen's team's design centered on a small number of important concepts. Concepts that provided an enduring framework for how the interface should be designed and evolve over time as the product expanded. Starting with PowerPoint, they sketched out a design that reflected their set of principles. Envisioning a design where each app had a dominant color consistent with the app's existing icon, the sketch of PowerPoint had a rich, red, ripe tone. So they dubbed the initial design language Tamatui, because it was a tomato ish user interface. Get it? The online version has a screenshot of Tamatui. The original renderings were compelling, albeit a bit too colorful. The work was unbelievably impressive. I often stopped by their offices in our shared hallway to see the designs evolve and hear what they were up to, especially in the evenings when they seemed to work best. Jensen was still new to the team and young and was very leery of my walk bys. But he and Clay were often working late afternoon or early evenings, the best time to chat and see updates. These discussions continue today, except they happen over text, and we're talking about the Apple WWDC or latest hardware. I can say without hesitation that I had not had more interesting late night conversations about technology since my days of AFX and talking to Rick Powell about the early code in Excel and Windows. To be honest, given the risk of the overall effort, These conversations and talking to Julie and Antoine almost every day were part of my own risk mitigation therapy. Tamatui was the kind of design that people tried to poke holes in and find problems with, but just couldn't. It was not just a rendering or rearranging of the commands. It was an entire system and framework for how the product could exist and evolve. We were still very early. When you listen to Jensen and Clay go through the thinking, and when they showed demos, it was abundantly clear they were onto something. Normally when a design is early and one asks questions, the answers can be vague or bring on a feeling of unease. In this case, it wasn't just that the answers exuded confidence, but the answers were often more thoughtful than the questions themselves. Too often, the graphical aspects of software designs overshadowed the key tenets of functionality. We see this today in how designs so often start with or are communicated via graphics or widgets versus the problem-solved or functional aspects of the solution. Even the names chosen for designs too often reflect the graphical or aesthetic choices in the work, such as Arrow or Luna. In the online version, there is a screenshot of the Windows XP Arrow user interface showing transparency and translucency as the key tenet of the design. I asked Jensen how serious they were about this design, and he said, quote, very serious. We really went whole hog. Everything had a place and there was a place for everything. Even at this early stage, there were a set of widgets or controls as the operating system called them. It would be easy to define the design by these mechanisms, but that would be incomplete and miss the whole point. From the earliest days of the design, Jensen and Clay had a full framework and rationale for every choice across every office application. We chose to focus on the three main document creation apps, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. The omission of Outlook proved to be frustrating for reviewers and those measuring us on consistency. Other document applications were pleading to get the new user interface, but the need to focus was paramount. The design was sweeping and all-encompassing. Considering the scope of the design, this was an incredible accomplishment. Almost every system redesign I can think of started from a single dimension or metaphor, transparency, control palettes, a new command hierarchy, our own command bar idea. The very notion of the first principles of Tomatui was itself incredibly significant. As a reminder, the scope of this design is 4,000 commands across three major products, each used by hundreds of millions of people for some of the most critical work of their professional lives. Jensen referred to this as a results-oriented design. The crux of the design was to pivot from thinking about individual commands and where they should go in the product to planning the features of document creation process. The features presented were aggregates of commands at a higher level. The original bullets and numbering toolbar in Word 6.0 was an early preview of this sort of approach, synthesizing a feature out of many commands that already exist in the code. Features are illustrated by results they obtain, not by an abstract name. Instead of chart wizard, illustrate the charts that can be created and do so using galleries. Users are far more likely to get the end results they want by getting to an approximation quickly, then using using visual choices to further customize it. While the interaction design was one aspect of this work, and in general, we tell stories about Office from the user to the feature choice and design, and then to engineering and quality contributors, I would hate for readers to think that I'm failing to account for the immense impact of software engineering and testing to this work. As talented as Jensen H and the whole PM and product teams were, they had their match in equally talented engineering counterparts. They worked side by side at every step of the project. There was no handoff, but a crazy amount of iteration in every day of the project. The engineering, not just the code to implement the design, but the high performance and backward compatibility across Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, represented some of the most intense re-engineering efforts the entire office team ever attempted, even to this day. So please don't let all the design and feature discussion take away from the engineering and quality aspects of this work. The purpose of this section is not to be a tutorial on the design as much as I'd like it to be. There is a legacy blog that will be described in the future section, as well as videos from conferences where Jensen presented that are available online. Many are linked to at JensenHarris.com, all one word. When it comes to saying why the early design seems so good, I would say that it it was a new reality where Office users engaged in a much more captivating way and users could see their work coming to life versus debugging the document. Capabilities existed in only one place and never moved around. And at the same time, every feature was accessible by an equivalent to Office 2003 or less amount of command distance. Gone were the days of tunneling into dialog boxes or playing hide and seek. Embracing web paradigms, the design took advantage of longer, more conventional text labels, longer tooltips, for example, and a livelier interface that showed the results of a command even before choosing it, enabling users to pick from choices like a modern sketch artist. The design even took up less space and worked on a wider range of screens more consistently. The focus was on features and results. Going back to our cockpit analogy, the design essentially programmed the capabilities of Office rather than putting up a bunch of mechanisms out there to find commands. It was radical. It also seemed to work extremely well. They called the design the ribbon. The team described the design as visual, tactile, and responsive. The ribbon seemed not only to solve Office's bloat challenges, but to create an interface paradigm that would be the best and most enduring design for the desktop era. While we were normally optimistic before we began coding, It was rare to have this level of enthusiasm so early in a project. There was something special about what was transpiring, even with the list of issues that continued to grow. Still, we only had an early design for the ribbon. We needed to finalize that and an entire release of Office to be built by a few thousand people.